Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. This or not, but Pete asked uh, on my little squiggly line there uh, with the predictability of divorce, that little follow-on from five to seven years. We didn't talk about that, but that's what I think of as kind of an echo of the five to seven year issue that wasn't resolved properly. So that's about 10 years in. There's another discernible rise in the divorce statistics at about 10 years. And usually that's because of fail. That's that's the five to seven year one that wasn't dealt with there. So it echoes into the 10 year thing. And this is obviously, in, in, in one sense, often the most traumatizing one, because usually there's kids involved in that one particularly. In other words, children have been brought in to save the five to seven year marriage. Then they discovered that they weren't adequate to save that marriage. So now the kids are three to five years old and now they're going to deal with the effects of divorce and mom and dad fighting and negotiating weekends and everything else for the next 15 years. 
I mean, that's pretty challenging for, for kids because uh, they lose almost their entire childhood uh, as a result of that. Um, so let's talk. Uh, any, any questions about uh, kind of the framework before we start to dig in a little bit more to the, to the soul care stuff that comes out of that? Yeah, yeah. So that will, yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit because they do vary a little bit. There are commonalities at every level, depending on on how you view yourself as a divorced person. In other words, this is why it's fascinating to me. Even even a couple of the folks that shared snapshot shared last week, right? There, the, the, the sense of being a divorced person, depending on the nature of the culture, church culture particularly, changes the soul care issues that are attendant to that. Um, usually, so well, let's walk through some of these and then we can start to push into this a little bit. Uh, the first and primary one uh, that we deal with is identity. Identity is probably going to be the major factor in almost any and all soul care. Because remember, the goal of soul care is to help persons become more fully themselves. To, 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 to really, and in those five dimensions, what does it mean for them to be whole, right? Um, and, or like Christ, which is the, like I said last time, is the same thing. So identity, if it has been, uh, for example, I'm, I'm walking with this woman last night and she realized early on in her marriage that all she'd ever wanted to be was a wife. You want to be a wife and a mom. Uh, and their marriage started to develop fissures, broken places, when the conversation about children started to come up. And he was starting to back away from wanting to have kids. So her whole identity started to unravel because the primary marker of her identity was wife and mother. Now, please notice, not person first, wife and mother first. And now he was denying her, this was her perspective, her identity. Uh, which even, you know, you say that out loud and put it on black and white and a piece of paper. It's just, well, that's dumb. But identity works that way. You, you, you don't know where you've anchored it until that anchor is removed. And then you find yourself flailing and doing crazy things. She had an affair um, and it, it just completely out of character for her. Uh, and, and so, does that does that make sense? Yeah, it actually happened to me uh, when I was married to my boy's father because I wanted to go into law enforcement and he was dead against it. But his idea was that I needed to be a wife and mother at home and, you know, mm-hmm. keep the house together. But it was deep, really deeply rooted in my heart even before I met him. And it took a number of years until he finally said he knew. He knew that's where my heart was. 
Yeah. But it was really, it was, it was really tearing me up. Yeah. Because I'm like, okay, am I missing this? Is that what I'm supposed to be? Is a wife and mother at home and not, right. not pursue what it, like maintaining my identity. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it, if, if, you can, if you can read through the stories in the Gospels, for example, through the lens of identity, notice how often Jesus turns on its head the common identity markers of that culture. So who were the most important ones? Who were the most... Uh, uh, revered ones who were the most reviled ones right and so Jesus just turns on on its head uh, my favorite line in this is Luke chapter 7 where he sees the woman who everybody in the room knows is an immoral woman and he asks his host Simon do you see this woman do you see this person do you see this valuable, worthwhile daughter of God? And, of course, the answer was no. Nobody saw her. All they saw was an immoral woman. They had labeled her and categorized her. So if you read through the gospel stories with that kind of frame in mind, you'll notice how often Jesus restores, revises and restores people to their, to their identity. Um, and that's that's an important one, and and be, especially in Christian circles, less so now. Like Pete and I were just again talking, that the commonality of divorce uh, in in is now. Remember, in the Bible Belt, the evangelical church leads the non-Christian world in the numbers of divorces granted. So there are more. Divorced men and women in church than there is in the in in the in the non-church world, which is problematic on multiple levels, right? But that's the reality. So the 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 stigma, if you will, that's an identity issue. Uh, it does is it met with a an edge? Is it is my identity primarily? I'm divorced, and what are you going to do about it? Or is it, how do I hide? Do, do you see? And, and, and depending on where that occurs, there gets shame and failure attached to that. Uh, uh, it, it, so, so I'm walking with somebody right now who has previously been divorced. They're moving towards marriage. And um, one of the big issues that they have is... Uh, her way of conflict resolution requires her to step out of the environment for a minute, just calm down so she can come back in and have the conversation. But every time she steps out, he chases her because he's afraid she's going to leave him like his first wife did. Now, that's not a thoughtful process. That's a self-protective reactionary process so now we're having to say okay here's your code language when you need to step out of the room you need to say to him 
until he gets this. I'm not leaving you. I need a break to think about this. Right? And that, that's the signal, right? So the soul care piece, identity, the identity component of the soul care piece is, is really critical. Uh, as we kind of reorient, my primary identity is not husband and wife to you. My primary identity is beloved son or daughter of God, of Jesus. I want to lock and load in that core identity piece. So that re- that's really critical to find and relocate that, especially after you feel like a failure or feel like something uh, left out, especially if there's been an affair. Uh, some of the most traumatizing divorces that I've worked with are people who have, whose husband or wife have left them for a same-sex attraction. Uh, because there's a, a, a sense of loss at multiple levels. They feel dismissed as a man or a woman as well as, as now as a life partner. How bad must I have been that my partner completely gave up on our side of the team here? Right? Or, or whatever. So that, that piece goes in. And, and all of those are identity pieces. So soul care is this relentless reminder of who people are in Christ. That identity is found in him. That regardless of what your husband or wife says about you, they are not the primary authority on who you are. Um, and, and so on. Uh, so that's the other element. Identity also um, locks into... Uh, a lot of our identity markers are in social environments. And divorce upsets all of those. So our friend groups are, are, are have to often decide which of the two of us they're going to maintain connection with. Uh, and sounds like the rats are really starting to get carried away over there. I don't know what they're doing. Oh, uh, but so 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 now, OK, how, how do I how do I renegotiate those relationships and friends don't want to take sides? So all of a sudden, they're out in, in left field and identity markers in the social environment piece need to be relocated as well. Uh, and uh, this works its way in family systems, especially if uh, you have had some close connection to the in-laws. And, uh, you know, a lot of the holiday seasons that we're heading into now, this massive sweep of holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas and, uh, and so on. There's a lot of life, even in a six-month six marriage, typically that's the end of a two- or three-year relationship. And so I don't know where to go for Thanksgiving this year because we've always done X, Y, or Z. And now they don't want me there anymore because my wife or husband's new significant others going to be there or whatever. So there's that. The other piece that fits into this is often the, 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 the parents of one of the partners will often take the divorce of their child much more personally and traumatically then sometimes even the child will. So they view their child's divorce as being 
a failure on their part. What did we do wrong as your parents that this is what happened to your marriage, right? And rather than own that on their own side, they tend to shun their own child, uh, which creates tension, obviously, because now not only am I not connected to my husband or wife's family, now my own family struggles with where I fit into the system. So all of the identity markers go sideways with regards to that one as well. And then just this whole family system chaos that goes goes into it uh, is is uh, pretty pretty traumatic. Any questions or comments or thoughts on that? So in soul care, again, our task is to continue to bring people to Jesus and continue to bring Jesus to people. So it's how do we deal with with these fraying identity markers that were not legitimate in the first place and replace them with a, a solid, rooted identity in Christ and a knowledge of who I am in Him, right? So that's, that's one. Second is the necessity in soul care uh, of walking with people through forgiveness. Um, we did quite a bit on this in the first soul care class, so I didn't replicate it all here, but there might be helpful just to walk through the stages of forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness can work in a number of ways. I have to forgive my spouse. I have to forgive myself. I have to forgive the woman or man, perhaps if there was an affair, because uh, that's one of the money and sex are the top two reasons that people get divorced. And those primarily surface in the five to seven year one. Uh, anyway, so I have to forgive them. There are often other factors in there. Um, so walking people, walking with people through forgiveness usually requires four stages. And the first stage uh, of forgiveness is pain, which is why we tend to shortcut it pretty quickly. We don't like to feel pain. But until you have felt the pain of betrayal or the pain of loss or the pain that this person has inflicted on you, you probably don't have anything to forgive. Right? Because uh, the pain is, is that, that tearing piece of somebody that I trusted, somebody that I had confidence in who's betrayed me, essentially what it is. And that usually has to come in stages and layers. Uh, over, uh, often, depending on how deep the trauma was, how deep the pain was, that often can be years in, in, in the forgiving. That doesn't mean you shouldn't start with whatever you can. But we invite Jesus into that. We pray our pain. We try and get a sense of the contours of it. Uh, we invite him to teach us how to hurt. Pain is not our enemy, actually. It's our friend. It's our primary way of increased capacity. For Christ's likeness. So, so if the pain of betrayal is a way of doing that, I don't want to waste it. So feel the pain. But then the second one is whatever the emotion is that comes out of that pain. So is it anger? Is it hatred? Uh, what, what do I feel? And I need to own that too. And this is where it's important for Christians particularly not to discount emotions as being bad or wrong they just are 
right? It's, it's, emotions tend to be the thermo, thermometer. It just registers. So if I feel hatred toward the person who hurt me, I am not helped at all by anybody telling me that I shouldn't hate them. That may or may not be true, but I do. So now what? Um, and so I want to, as I'm walking with people in soul care, one of the things you're already probably picking up in is that I don't get to judge where they're at in the journey and how they're processing. That's not my business. My business is accompaniment to maybe absorb some of the pain, to help them weep or cry or, or have a vent, venting conversation with somebody with, who's, who's not going to shame them or, or whatever. So uh, the anger or hatred or whatever the emotion is, we invite Jesus into that. We pray that. We offer that up to God. We tell God what he, th- he should do to those people, whatever it is, right? Then the third one, and this is the, the hard part, is the um, uh, release stage. So pain, uh, emotion, usually anger or hate, then release. And it's a three-stage release. First is I release the person from the pain they caused me. So I, I want to offer them up to Jesus. I want to own my own pain and deal with it on my own. So I release the person from the pain they caused me. Second, I release then the person to Jesus uh, for him to deal with. So I, 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 I let them go and I put them in his hand. And then the third release is myself from the right of revenge or the right to make them pay. So if I'm walking soul care with somebody who is really struggling with forgiveness, I want to sit with them through these three stages. And again, this takes some time. It's an invitation of the Spirit, etc. Okay? And then the final one is, uh, uh, final stage of forgiveness is renegotiation of relationship. Um, So does forgiveness automatically mean the restoration of friendship? Not always. Uh, If the individual, for example, cannot or will not accept responsibility for what they did, then there's no foundation for a renewed relationship. I'm not going to keep walking into the buzzsaw and blaming the buzzsaw. Right? I'm, I'm going to have to renegotiate what that might look like. So I'm going to maybe create some boundaries. Our relationship... If there is one, it's going to be different than it was. Sometimes if there's a, in, in a divorce situation, uh, I just want them, to, I want them to be well. I want God to bless them, but I don't need to be doing coffee with them on Friday morning anymore. Um, and so that, anyway, those, those pieces there. Yeah? It's the restoration piece or, or the reconsider of restoration of relationship. So the release the person from the pain they caused me. Release the person to Jesus. And then release myself from the, the right of revenge. I usually tell Jesus what he should do to them. When I give them over to him. That's, really part two. That's part two. Yeah. 
he doesn't usually write things down when I talk, which is unfortunate. But Don't you think Jesus needs the benefit of your counsel on those things? <laughs> anyway, so forgiveness. Uh, next soul care issue just to talk about is to deal with the sense of failure, shame, guilt, whatever the social piece that tracks along with that is. Um, yes? They're afraid that somebody will get away with something is really the primary reason that we don't forgive. That, that's right. And you're echoing there Jesus' parable, right? Of the guy who's been given so much but refuses to forgive so little. And, re- and remember, though, without putting too fine a point on it, when people have really been betrayed, uh, that wound is really deep and profound. And the pain that originates from that feels like nothing on earth for them at the, at the emotional level. It might strike right to the heart of their identity. I don't think so. And, and I think probably more than likely, depending on how deep and profound the pain was, they're going to have to do this multiple times before they can even get to stage four. Because, you know, layers start peeling off. Right? And, and the other thing that I found, I didn't, I didn't make this connection until a little bit later on, but a lot of it is seasonal. So when we go through a, a, a season of Thanksgiving, for example, all kinds of new pain surfaces with the betrayal piece. Because it, the losses is, is not just of, you know, w- what we had. The loss was of our future. The loss was of what our kids could have had. Or the loss was of, of the, the larger family unit, the sometimes financial burdens multiply uh, and and that gets gets layered in. Um, I was walking with a woman a, f- a couple of years ago, and her um, divorce just kind of went their separate ways. Uh, she had put him through law schools, so that the but he was not at his earning potential. So the legal separation uh, was based on her income. Right. So now he goes off, gets a career as an attorney, is now making six and seven figures a year. And she's struggling to, to buy a condo. And so one of, we had to work through when she moved into her home, that whole pain again. Right. Because here he is fat, dumb and happy over here in Palos Verdes. And here I am struggling to 
make the payments on a two-bedroom condo and, you know, pretty challenging. Almost always. Then going through the divorce because the person yep. is still alive. Yep. There's no resolution for it. Yep. So it reminds me of that because I mean, pain, emotion, release, renegotiation, those things are even harder to, to navigate. Yep. And now, like for a person who's giving soul care, you're going to see seasons of that, depending on how long they're together, waves over time. Yes, sir. It's like maybe the best thing to do is just be someone they can rely on that you're not going to get upset with them or be bothered. Why is it still bothering you? Just, it is. Bingo. So yeah. I'm not even like rating them. Well, you know, what level are you at right now? Three, two, or... Well, just like... Do you always do that little kind of Mickey Mouse voice? Yeah, that, that's like the I'm on the couch. Like, well, <laughs> 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 it's like Rocky and Bullwinkle is yeah, what that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of recognize it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good memories. Yeah, but but no, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And and this is why when we again the soul care piece is not about judging or fixing or helping. It's about accompanying. It's about walking with. It's about how do I how do I ask you as painful as it might be, what might Jesus be up to in this? Can we invite him into this? Can we can we ask him how to do this? Because he knows how to forgive really, really well, having been betrayed at least as deeply as you have. So let's learn how to do that from him. And so it's, uh, there is a, a cut and set of relationships that does not equal and forgiveness. No. No. And, and like I said, sometimes, if, especially if the, the wounding party will not accept responsibility for what they've done and persist in the behavior of wounding, it's not wise or good for there to be a restored relationship without really pretty strong uh, and strongly maintained boundaries. Another piece on this that just just underlined, somebody asked me the other day, can you forgive and forget? And the short answer is no. You can, you can forgive and choose never to bring it up again, which is what God does with us. But forgetting tends not to be a very good um, practice on our part, uh, especially if there's high levels of trauma. Because the higher the level of trauma, the deeper anchored in our memory is that event. Uh, and that person then associated with that. So forgetting is not the indicator that you've forgiven. And I, probably you've already figured this out, but forgiving has nothing any more to do with the other person. Forgiving is about releasing me at the end of the day so that I can, I can be a whole person without reference to that, that wound or that damage that was done. 
This is one of the one of the things with uh, especially if there's been a break in a marriage with an affair or whatever it is that I'm very leery about people moving too quickly through the stages and cycles of forgiveness. Often they just want to get it over with and let's get back together and keep on going. But that's marathon on a broken leg. And sooner or later, that will resurface in some pretty significant damage. So often, again, soul care pieces slow this down. Take the time necessary. Let's learn and lean into this. Um, next one is the sense then of failure and shame and guilt. That often is attached to identity, but sometimes, depending on family system, uh, depending on church structure, depending on their backgrounds, uh, they take high degrees of responsibility for things that are not their responsibility. They carry blame for things for which they are not to blame. Uh, they feel guilty for things for which they have done nothing wrong. Uh, and a lot of a lot of this is is mid-course correction and 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 helping people regain a sense of what is true. Shame is never God's strategy. So, so if people are feeling ashamed as a result of their having been divorced or their parents being divorced, we'll talk about that next time, uh, we know that that shame is not from God. So that's self-generated or an attack of the enemy or social environments or, or cultural environments that push into this um, um, walking with a woman uh, who uh, is uh, um, Indian descent and her whole family has has shamed her because of her divorce and she just carries that like a mantle it it's wraps around her and to become whole this is the weird part that's going along. To become whole means to lose her family. So the price of family is the carrying of the mantle of shame. And she can't imagine not having family, so she puts up with the shame, even though it's disabling to her. Um, and then the final one is just the anger Peace, which is uh, anger, remember, is a gift uh, that is given to us to signal boundary violations. But we are, we have to be trained in anger so that we can get angry but not be angry. When anger is not ever intended to be the primary way we renegotiate the boundary violation. It's the indicator, but not the mechanism by which we deal with it, right? But if we feel uh, dismissed or set aside or marginalized or diminished, uh, anger now becomes our, our primary way of being. Uh, and so now we start to act out of that in often with the person, but more often sideways so we want to soul care can help people deal with the anger piece pray that out there's 85 angry psalms one of them will work for this situation let's bring it to jesus let's leave it with him and 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 then uh, we can move on in higher degrees of health because we're not built 
to maintain high levels of anger. Uh, it will damage us at pretty profound levels, physically as well as spiritually and emotionally. Okay, so those are the core, some of the core issues we'll keep bubbling up on this. But any questions on what we've been doing tonight on any of this? Cool. I was in the single club for a long time, and they and I are about to join the married club. So, and obviously, I feel like I'm going to be entering into the, to the you know, allowability to have a conversation with someone who's not like Yeah. Or at least I can entertain, I can be eye to eye. Yeah. What's going on. Cool. All right. Yep. Yep. It needs. We need to be trained in it, and that's the problem. I think the Christian community, as a general rule, tends to dismiss it, which doesn't make it go away. It just makes it go underground, where it does more damage. Yeah. So. Um, Anger, well, anger as a general rule is not a bad thing. And, it, it, and like I said, it indicates. So in, in the Bible, Jesus got angry when the rights of children were violated. That was a boundary issue. He, he had learned how not to be angry when his own boundary issues were violated. Uh, he could choose not to react in anger. But if the disciples, so children, he got angry at the Pharisees for the boundaries that they had created and erected to keep Gentiles out or labeling people as unclean. Um, Remember the cleaning of the temple, the cleansing of the temple, where the system was keeping out people who had right of access. So he got angry. Jesus always got angry, in the New Testament at least, when the boundaries of others were violated. Uh, when his own were violated, uh, he did not e- emotionally react out of that. So the anger would have been internalized and then responded to rather than reacted to. Does that make sense? Yeah. The, in most in these cases, you, you use it as a key lesson. He always does. Always does. And we're, I mean, obviously we're a ways away from having that level of self-control at this stage of the game. But we need to know that that's the goal, right? Uh, I want to be able to get angry but not stay angry. And then I want to be able to get angry at the right kinds of things and in the right kinds of ways. So um, we've got a ways to go on that one, probably a week or two. So, so say... Yeah. In the moment, it tends to be really challenging unless you've got enough of a connectedness that and relationship with them to which you can then say, can we do a time out for just a second and analyze what's going on here? Uh, what's the boundary violation? Is it as catastrophic as the way you're responding? Because the primary way that anger gets out of control is 
the, way, the, the degree of response or reaction is way out of proportion to the degree of provocation. And that's, that's the indicator that some calibration is needed. Yeah. Remember, anger is the way we become big when we feel small. See ya. Okay. We're done. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.